Hey everybody, welcome back to the Food Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam. This March was super busy. The TasteRise team was on the road at food and beverage conferences across the US, talking to people about a very important question. What do consumers actually want to eat and drink and why? And as always, the way brands from startups to big established food companies are answering this question are diverse. And oftentimes they don't actually answer the question at all. And if they do, not with very much foresight or actionability. We heard a lot about how surveys, for example, are failing companies, static reports just don't do the job, and generic AI tools not keeping up with the pace of change for consumers. And if you're a longtime listener, you know that TasteRise is all about providing real-time insights into consumer behavior that brands can use for their decision-making, and ultimately for successful product launches, marketing campaigns, and sales strategies. And we do it with AI, we always have. Recently, we unveiled TasteGPT. Another episode on that is coming soon, don't worry. Bringing conversational AI to our suite of generative, productive, and analytical AI, AI tools. So as you can imagine, there was a lot to talk about in the industry, um, and we learned a lot. So the point here is that, again, we learned a lot from these conferences. We were at IFMA Coex, Expo West, uh, Future Food Tech San Francisco, American Food Innovate, and Private Label Manufacturers Association's event down in Florida. And we saw what was going on in the industry, right? From tools to ingredients, new tech to clear themes and recent product launches and a whole lot more. So this week's episode was hosted uh, live by Ian and I, actually. And we covered our top insights in a quick and digestible format. It's quick and dirty. There's a lot we weren't able to cover. There's so much more to say. Uh, There always is. So if you have any questions or want us to uh, discuss anything further, shoot us a note at live at tastewise.io. Uh, So I hope that this mini state of the industry report after our Q1 adventures across the U.S. uh, will be valuable for you. And let us know what you think. Happy listening. Welcome to this week's TasteWise Live. We are doing a very special session today where we're covering what we're calling the state of the industry. So uh, the TasteWise team did what we call a March Roadshow. So out the course of the month of March, we attended five different conferences in the U.S. I'm sure a lot of you were also at many of these too. So Ian and I wanted to really get all of us together as a TasteWise community, go over our top learnings from these conferences. So what did we learn about uh, you know the exhibitors, the attendees, where is the, the direction of the industry heading into the rest of 2023 and really into 2024 and beyond? We'll start off by saying this. Did you miss a conference <laughs> or perhaps five? That's okay. Um, there was a know. lot in March. There was a there lot was, in March. There was a lot in March. And I know some of you on the call might not be exclusively US focused. So there's lots of other ones going on as well. Um, so let us know if there's any conference that you particularly miss that you want to get insights into. Um, shoot us a note in the in the chat and we would love to put a little bit or, of an extra. Or any conferences that you that. think are, are really awesome that are can't miss even later on this year. We'd love to hear hear your feedback. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so before we get started, I'll just introduce myself. I'm Miriam. Um, I'm head of Marcoms here at TasteWise as well as Food Insights Lead. So I spend all of my day every day thinking about the state of the industry and what consumers care about, why they care about it, and what that means for, for your brand. Um, and Ian, Ian, do you want to introduce yourself briefly? Yeah, I'm Ian O'Neill, uh, Senior Account Executive. So I help uh, partner with brands and help them leverage our platform and tools to help them innovate better, you know, future-proof their brand and all the, the great stuff that Insights helps uh, foster, whether it's innovation or building a sales story. Fantastic. So speaking of future-proofing and our tool and platform, let's just do, and if you want to kind of introduce quickly for those of you who are new, I'm yeah. seeing some faces. So what we do at TasteWise and why is it that you should pay attention to what we have to say about all the conferences from this month? Yeah. So if you've been on here before, you've probably heard or seen this, I hope. And uh, if you're new, here's just a quick uh, clip on, on kind of where we're coming from and what our perspective is on this. So uh, TasteWise is a platform that helps 
anyone in the food and beverage industry, really from you know manufacturers, CPGs, operators, anybody in between, really helps them make better decisions. We use three main sources of data on our platform, which is social data, recipe data, and restaurant data. And we're constantly scraping the internet. That's powered by our powerful AI engine, which is a super buzzy thing right now. And I think you know it's great to know that we've been at it for a while. And um, I really like the quote uh, about artificial intelligence recently that I've seen surface, which is, you know, without uh, great data, it's just artificial. It's not intelligence, right? And so using our awesome data, we can see what's going on in the world. And the trends that we're going to talk about here in a second, I think what's really exciting is that we've seen those in our data as well. And we'll kind of give some, some snippets of, of what that data looks like as we cover some of those trends. Obviously, we can't cover everything today. We've got a short amount of time. There's plenty of trends going on. But here's some things that stuck out to us. And we think they're they're worth sharing with you. Fantastic. Thanks, Ian. I also want to note that everything we do at TasteWise is exclusive to food and beverage. So that's our, if you forgive the pun, our bread and butter. It's what we live, <laughs> think, breathe all the time. So everything that we are looking at um, is around consumer behavior, trend performance, et cetera, exclusively in food and bev. So um, food and beverage conferences are where we thrive. So um, I want to go over where we were over the last uh, the last month. You'll kind of get a sense of the diversity of the food and beverage landscape. Um, so we were at IFMA COAC. So IFMA, for those of you who are not familiar, is for food manufacturers. So really looking at kind of that, the root basis of, of ingredients and products, right? So uh, looking at that first level, that was down in Florida. Then we were at Expo West. So Ian was actually at Expo West himself um, yeah. in Anaheim looking at uh, natural, healthy, organic products. So a lot of really interesting things there. I with, saw- With 75,000 of, of my best friends. It was a very yeah. well attended conference. It was huge. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge. And I saw a lot of really great energy um, on LinkedIn about it and a lot of insights that we'll, we'll also bring in today in, in what we're sharing. I was at FFT San Francisco. Um, so for those of you who are there, Another amazing attended conference. I think it was something like 30% bigger than than last year. Um, so a lot of really great focus there on really the gambit of food and beverage right now. Um, but of course, sustainability, which is top of mind for a lot, health, functional health, things like that. Um, PLMA, so private label. Um, so anybody who's working in retail or working in private label, this one is a good one for you. So that was also in Florida. And finally, uh, Ian was at American Food Innovate. Yeah, we've co-presented with uh, our, our friends at Kroger and really talked yeah. about kind of the future of innovation, which I think hopefully everybody can relate to. Uh, if you're on this call, you're probably a curious person. And, I, you know, innovation is always top of mind when we talk about spotting trends. Absolutely. Um, so that's kind of where we're coming from. And that's the, the source that we're pulling from, um, as well as, the, you know, our data, as always, that Ian mentioned before. Let's go over what we're going to cover in the next 23 minutes. It's going to be... Um, <laughs> Fast and, furious. Say, fast and furious. Um, and of course, if anybody's interested in this, we can do a longer webinar another time. We can send you the slides. We can talk about it offline, whatever you want. But essentially, we've grouped the, the trends that we've noticed from this particular set of conferences into three categories. There's uh, the stuff that's on the shelf, right? Or will be on the shelf. So the things that people are, our brands are thinking about, um, the interesting tension and conversation between consumer needs and preferences and behavior and innovation. Um, so looking specifically at ingredients and flavors and things like that, packaging as well. Um, we're looking at consumer experience. So uh, the actual experience of consumption and what that means for consumers and, and why that actually matters. Um, and finally, business practices. So uh, we're actually going to start with the business practices, which I actually like to think about as kind of the um, ingredients in the transformation stew, if you will, um, what is required uh, for companies to be agile and, and what are people actually thinking about, right? So we're going to start with that. Where we're pulling these trends from are what we saw at conferences, but also what people were asking us, right? Um, we have the 
privilege of, of being a company that really is close to the consumer pulse, but also really close to the pulse of our customers, which span, you know, everything from uh, the top food and beverage brands in the world to innovative startups, right? So we really have a sense of what people are, are thinking about and struggling with, are challenged by. And as a, as a result in the market, we get a ton of questions. So when we show up to these, uh, these events, you know, as an AI provider, as a data analytics provider, um, we're asked a lot of questions. So I think this is actually really interesting and we're going to start here. So first things first. So what we saw a lot of at conferences is tech to make pivots faster. So what does that mean? When we see that the con today's consumer is so sophisticated, is moving so fast, the pace of change is so fast, many, many brands, and especially the larger, what we call big food, right? Uh, the larger, more established brands don't have the infrastructure in place themselves to pivot towards these new and emerging categories, right? Or new and emerging demands. So plant-based is kind of the obvious or meat alternatives, let's say, in including plant-based is the obvious category here. Um, so we're seeing a lot of newcomers in the industry who are specifically focused on the tech to make pivoting towards those um, new categories and new products. Um, and I think in this ecosystem, I think tech is really a big tool. Um, brands big and small are using it. It used to be that big brands ate up small brands very quickly. But yeah. now in this day and age, the way that things are moving so quickly, small brands that are very adaptable can actually take a lot of small bites out of big brands. So yeah. you know, when it comes to being able to put something new, whether it's on the shelf or on the menu really quickly, small brands are using their ability to pivot and adapt faster as kind of leverage against those bigger brands that maybe have more distribution or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I think mergers and acquisitions, as, as Ian pointed out, are have long been a, one of the tools in the toolbox of adapting to, you know, the consumer pace of change, but that's not sustainable. It's expensive. Um, and it's definitely, we're, we're seeing that being phased out as a kind of a primary. Taking it in-house. Yeah, taking it in-house, exactly. So um, we're seeing a lot of focus on this tech. We're seeing, and just to call it a few specific ones, so things like precision fermentation, which is, for those of you who are not familiar yet with this, it's essentially using fermentation to create cell factories uh, to create these, these functional nutrients um, from these cell structures. So it's a very scientific thing. Um, it's super interesting. I don't know a huge amount about it yet, but I know that these were super well represented at a lot of these conferences, as well as tech working in fats and solubles. Um, there's also the more, I would say, like sexy or, or flashy uh, tech that consumers are are more aware of, right? People are less, I would say right now in consumer education space, familiar with precision fermentation, but they're much more familiar with things like 3D printing, cell culturing, things like that. Um, so one of the, the interesting trends that we're noticing is brands are really challenged by, and I think that this is a really healthy challenge to have in the industry right now, is thinking about the role consumer education needs to play when debuting, debuting these new technologies, right? Do people actually care that meat is 3D printed? Is that a barrier to purchase, right? Or is it, you know, an encourager for purchase? What is the relationship between consumer perception of these technologies, if there even is one, to loyalty and engagement? So we saw a huge amount of conversation around this, a lot of questions about this. I think companies like, if you check out this, Aleph Farms, um, based in Israel, they've understood this, this switch and they're working towards, if you see, you know, we cultivate quality steaks directly from their cells, nothing beats steaks, so why try, right? They're really banking on trying to build the sense of familiarity, even if the tech itself is very unfamiliar. So a lot of really interesting marketing things going on here. Um, but I would say the bottom line is this tech is here. Brands are engaging with it um, and figuring out how to create trust and relationship with consumers is, is going to be really important. Ian, anything you want to add here? No, I mean, I think um, there's a lot of a lot to take into consideration mm -hmm. when you're launching a product that no one's ever tried before. And, yep. you know, I think when we look at the beyond and impossible players in this space, at least, um, where it's a totally new product, 
A lot of them went first to operators and national restaurant chains because they wanted consumers to get it done properly. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they were concerned maybe that at, if you cooked it at home, you wouldn't have the best experience. So it's, you know, what approach do you take here? You have to understand the consumer and how they're using it to really decide, am I going to go with retail first or am I going to go with, um, you know, food service first? What are the big considerations there? For sure. And even before all of that, thinking through for your launch strategy, what kind of messaging do you even put out there oh, to yeah. create that initial moment of, of engagement? All right. Um, next, and this one should be familiar, I hope, to everybody on the call. This is something we feel really passionate about and something we're not just saying it because we feel passionate about it. We saw it time and time again at the conferences. Brands are ready for a consumer first mentality. I think if you think, and this is actually a really interesting parallel to what we usually say about surveys, if you asked any brand over the last however long, do you put your consumers first? you know, brands would typically say, yes, of course they do. Right. But if you think about the actual way that the practical actionable way that that shows up, I think that a lot has, has been left, um, to be desired. So I think, uh, brands are starting to really recognize that consumer first mentality is the only way to innovate successfully. And they're recognizing that AI is, you know, firmly a part of that landscape and needs to be. Um, so AI is firmly on the radar uh, and companies want to know how to integrate it. Right. Um, there's so much out there right now around generative and conversational AI, ourselves included, right. There's a lot of frustration with surveys. So thinking back to, you know, reported just like that question to brands, hey, do you care about putting your consumers first? Of course, right? There's a lot of frustration with surveys of not actually demonstrating the reality of the situation for consumer behavior, right? Yeah. And I, um, I think a lot of probably our partners on the phone or excuse me, on the phone on our, on our call here today uh, <laughs> that, are, that are tuning in, I would say, you know, they're trying to think for, they're planning for 2024, 2025. Yeah. So um, if you're using something that's super slow and then you have to build consensus within your organization uh, to say, hey, look, here's something new uh, that we need to jump into, that we need to start developing an idea around. By the time you get to market, uh, the trend might have already come and gone. So yeah. the idea of that the this rapidly changing landscape, uh, we really need to move faster than maybe some traditional survey methods, which take a lot longer. So the fact that we can use AI and, and powerful tools that we can just tap into and get insights immediately is even more and more important. Exactly. And we saw, you know, the hunger for that across all different kinds of, of companies and brands. As Ian was saying before, the smaller brands tend to be able to be more agile and, and adopt these sort of things more quickly. But uh, for the larger food and beverage brands, especially in some of the keynotes we saw at these conferences, um, there is for sure a general interest in and passion about innovation. Of course, that's why we're all here. Uh, but some of the older companies aren't really sure how to take the next step, right? There's a lot of language out there that's like, let's elevate our innovation. Let's innovate for the, you know, <laughs> the future. And all of that is great. But unless you actually have a way to capture the consumer pulse and do that quickly, effectively, efficiently, and co like cost effectively, right? Um, there's not a lot there to work with. I just want to quickly call out some, and this really aligns with something that we talk about a lot. Um, there are sort of four, I would say, categories of companies that have come out of COVID, out of the pandemic. So they're the companies who still don't have the data, right? No matter what sources they're using, they don't have the data. They don't really have a sense of their consumers. You don't want to be there, right? Um, and and hopefully yeah, I, I think if you're here, you're probably, you know, you're either a scrappy startup or maybe some uh, a company that's, uh, you're jumping on, you're, you're developing something around Sriracha right now and Sriracha is everywhere, right? Um, right. So you, you've kind of probably, either miss the trend and either you're okay with that or you know uh, maybe it's just a lack of, of of data and information to build consensus on the innovation front right low risk low reward as they say 
Um, the section, a second one is perhaps you have some of the data, right? Maybe it only came from retail or um, only retail and social, but you really don't have a holistic picture of what's going on for your consumers. You're kind of maybe working with static reports. You're working with some retail stuff, but you're, again, not capturing those trends at the root. And you're, you're again, working reactively. The next one is you might have a lot of data, um, but none of it's actually actionable, right? We like to say the difference between um, data and answers, right? You can have data, but your team doesn't know what to do with that, right? You could see that, for example, gut health, let's say, is trending, but what does that actually mean for you and your brand and the ingredients you need to be working on and the, your strategy moving forward? Yeah, and I think the action, like lack of actionability can sometimes take place when you're doing a survey data and, and you're really wanting to drill into a specific sub-segment and you know, you're working with maybe a sample size of N equals 50 people to make this big decision. You know, it's tough to to use that as actionable data when the sample size gets that small when you're really trying to do something super strategic. Yeah, for sure. And finally, some departments maybe at your organization have access to the data, but it's not available to everybody. So you're working in silo, right? So if R&D is coming up with these amazing product ideas, uh, but marketing isn't able to capture that or probably more likely the reverse, um, it's not an efficient way to innovate. Uh, so just putting all of that out there, because this is something we saw a lot reflected in conversations. We saw the light fade from people's eyes a lot when they were saying, oh yeah, you know, that last product that we launched that was based on survey data actually really flopped and we're not sure how to fix it. Um, so this is something that we're seeing this structure for is something we're seeing a lot of companies slot into. All right. I'm moving a little bit fast just because uh, I want to be conscious of time. Just a quick plug here. If anybody is interested in joining us on April, April 18th, we're going to be uh, going through TasteGPT, our new generative and conversational AI tool. Uh, so this is really amazing for getting answers, as I said before, instead of just data. So if anybody wants it's to- It's fun. Yeah. It's fun to play with. It's super you fun. Can't usually also, say like that about it. Your... You usually can't say that about data platforms, Like, but it's actually fun. Yeah. I will, I will say something embarrassing right now about myself sometimes in the morning when I start my work day. I just opened TasteGPT and I write, hi, TasteGPT. And it has a cute little like, hey, how are you? <laughs> um, so definitely join us. Learn about how this can can really revolutionize your workflows. Um, this was something we debuted at a few conferences and people were crazy about. We also got some, I just saw this morning, some great uh, coverage, press coverage from some of these conferences as well. Okay, we're going to move on to uh, ingredients. And Speaking of fun. Speak <laughs> what a great segue, Ian. I don't know Thank if you, you. Like, but well done. Okay, you want to take this on? Yeah, the future is fun, guy. Um, yeah, so um, I, I, like Miriam said, we're at a lot of these conferences, and you know, uh, this is you know quali qualified uh, data, right? It's it's not quantifiable, it's um, it's qualitative. But um, here's some things that we saw just popping up, and we're also seeing this quantifiably in our data as well, right? Yep. So we are seeing mushrooms pop up in places we haven't normally seen them before, like in mushroom milk, or as a part of a a functional health benefit in a gummy or jerky. Right. So these were areas that typically you didn't see mushrooms before, but they're starting to grow and grow. And I will say most of the claims here that that they're being made on these products really do lean into some sort of functional health benefit. It's not yeah. just, hey, not this is an alternative to meat for jerky or something like that. There's some additional benefit that it's adding um, to the consumer's diet. Fantastic. I think this also points to, uh, you know, if we if we looked a year ago, some of these products already existed. Of course, this is not necessarily an entirely new trend, but we're seeing it A, hit the mainstream a lot more and B, consumers are much more aware of the difference, let's say between lion's mane and reishi, right? Yeah. Um, they're able to understand that. Um, what we're looking at here, of course, is much more CPG focused because of the, the nature of our... Um, and food service as well, but the nature of our conferences. But this is also really reflective in, you know, in home cooking, home consumption, things like that. We're not going to cover that today, but just for you to know, this is also a trend we're seeing um, across the board. I promise I did not plan this, but what did I have this morning in my smoothie? 
lion's mane, reishi, a lot of adaptogens. Wow. We're seeing the show up in food service, right? Home consumption. So I've been influenced by my own job. <laughs> no wonder you're glowing. You've got all these adaptogens <sighs> going. Thank you so much. All right. Um, next, we're going to talk about alt seafood. So sustainability is on everyone's minds. It should be on everybody's minds, right? We're, you know, alt seafood has been one of those categories that we've covered for a while. Um, it's kind of the natural next in line for after, you know, we have the, the meat replicants and the dairy replicants, both of which have seen massive mainstream success. Seafood is the next category. It has been, I think, a slower to mainstream adoption for two reasons. Yeah. One, taste and texture. Uh, or sorry, one taste, two texture. Uh, and in all of that consumer trust, I think there's a conception of seafood being a, from a health perspective, a safety perspective, right? People are a little bit less, let's say on board for adoption until they're really convinced. Yeah. And I think it's polarizing. It's a polar, like seafood has always been typically polarizing for consumers. Yeah. So this is really a niche uh, area. At the same time, these are like really strong products. I mean, we had yeah. Impossible Beyond, and then we're seeing Tyndall in the chicken space. And I think seafood's really next. Uh, these are some companies that I saw at, at Expo West mm -hmm. that I thought uh, Jinka, they have this plant-based tuna spread, which is great. But really what was interesting to me is they actually had a calamari, uh, fried calamari, which was incredibly, for someone that's not a completely plant-based person, you know, I thought it was a, a really excellent product. Um, so we're seeing these in new formats, not just, I remember like five years ago, there was a sous vide tomato that mimicked seafood, right? And, and we're well beyond that now, right? We're not sous vide tomatoes. We're really making something in, in all sorts of formats. Yeah. Um, I think others are, you know, plantish, uh, I'm forgetting the name of one of the sponsors at FFT, but, um, at the lunch at FFT, they actually sponsored a, a tuna tartare. So there's a lot going on here. I will note. Um, and I think this is more anecdotal for me. This is not reflected, uh, necessarily. I mean, it is reflected in some ways in the data, but this is purely an anecdotal, not taste wise. I want to make that clear. What I noticed at FFT San Francisco is that there was actually a lot of resistance to these, uh, plant-based seafood uh, products, not because the interest wasn't there. People are really interested and they want, especially from an allergen perspective or from, you know, just wanting to align with a plant-based diet. Um, but the taste and texture just isn't there yet, uh, for a lot of these products. Um, so there was a lot of resistance at the conference. People were eating it like, eh, this isn't so much for me. So companies really need to pay attention to taste and texture. I know that they are, but, um, we're going to see a lot more innovation in this space. Yeah. And as more players get in there, it's only going to get more comp competitive and it's only going to get better. Just like we've seen with the other Proteins. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Ian, you want to take this one? Waters? Yeah. Who would think that water could be this crazy? Liquid death. Uh, mango chainsaw is the flavor there in case anybody wanted to drink a mango chainsaw. A lot of this is marketing and, and messaging. Absolutely. And I think like any good emerging trend, and you'll see this, you know, in the previous slides and the future slides, these trends are kind of bleeding into each other, right? Yeah. Things about sustainability. Really, these waters are trying to tell a story beyond just, hey, we're um, you know, Dasani or, or something else, right? They're saying, hey, look, we've got uh, sustainable packaging like Liquid Death and Boxed Water and even Path, right? They're using metal products. So they are, or Boxed Water is using more of a recyclable product or, you know, there's um, a cool benefit or flavor. So people are really leaning into this and it's definitely brand forward, but um, we'll see, you know, I, it was Sparkling Water was the darling, you know, five years ago, maybe six yeah. now um, that, you know, LaCroix and AHA and all these brands came out. And now we're kind of seeing maybe water to, I don't know what, two, 3.0 um, and, and really seeing um, this trend continue to grow. For sure. And I think brands are, are tackling this and they're aware of it that, you know, consumer skepticism around affordability and should I actually be shelling out a couple extra bucks on a water than I would on my regular, you know, bottled water. Um, so thinking about the relationship of sustainability, right, is around packaging and the actual functional claims like alkalines and whatever, um, really 
providing that transparency to consumers of the benefit of those things to, to bridge the gap um, between skepticism and, and purchase. Um, so this is something I think really interesting to watch. All right. Um, the next one, this is a fun one. Um, so yes. convenience and packaging. This is something we saw everywhere. Uh, as Ian and I said earlier on a call that none of you were at, but this is <laughs> up. Um, <laughs> pouches are back. So uh, we were actually laughing and, and trying to figure out Ian and I, I think are both in the, the millennial oh, yeah. generation. Um, we didn't grow up with pouches, but we know that Gen Z did. So um, it's interesting to see the, the jump from, you know, kid food, baby food, kid food, toddler food, et cetera, um, into, as Ian says, larger sizes for bigger humans. Um, yeah. So seeing this relationship between packaging, convenience on the go, um, something we're seeing in TasteWise data is that consumers are actually talking about pouches and on the go or convenience 27% more than they were last year. So clearly reflected in the data. This is something people are excited about, um, you know, throw it in a bag, especially as the world reopens up post COVID and people are on the go in ways they weren't for the last couple of years. This is something worth watching. Yeah. And apothecary vibes, right? I mean, food yeah. as as medicine uh, or something, you know, to, to functionally boost you, uh, superfoods, protein, et cetera. Yep. I mean, just calling out here, right? Acai, um, goji, sweet potato, prebiotic fiber, right? Um, all of this is a marketing and packaging exercise, but it's super important. Okay. We're down to the last five minutes. So we'll see what we can cover. Yeah. Um, the next, and I think this again, dovetails quite nicely. We've been talking about this the entire session, but functional health, you all know this, this is here to say, this is definitely, um, a part of the future of the food and beverage industry. Um, we're seeing vibes just to put it, you know, again, referencing Gen Z, but, uh, functional wellness, especially around mental wellness, mental clarity, energy, calm, uh, experiential, uh, claims, right. This is a huge deal. Um, we're seeing this show up, especially in the beverage and, and gummy categories for now, but we're going to see it in lots of other places. I saw yeah. some interesting condiments actually that were, we're toying with this a little bit around functional health. One of the things I'm most excited about is actually Yaupan. So for those of you who are not so familiar, this is, um, really a, it's a caffeine oriented, uh, ingredient, a lot of indigenous heritage here and culture to it. We're seeing a lot of integration in, in smaller brands that are that are capturing this, and we're seeing some larger brands get on the train as well. Um, it actually it has less jitters than caffeine and some other functional benefits. So we're seeing things like that show up, um, as well as you know adaptogens, you name it. So this is the reason why you know I went to my favorite Cuban restaurant last night, and what did I see on the menu? Right, a new CBD adaptogenic sparkling seltzer. Um, so food service is definitely on this train as well. Uh, so I think we're going to see a lot of innovation in this space, um, and a lot of really interesting new ones too. I agree. I think it's kind of taking the same path that, you know, CBD took and CBD is part of this trend as well, right? The idea of it started out as, you know, uh, something to eat or, um, you know, some sort of um, a pill or something like that, right? That people are taking. And now it's kind of crossed the barrier into from a powder that you pour into a drink to a ready to drink beverage. And what's next? Is it condiments? Is it actually going to be in a, in a food form? Where does it go from here? We'll see. Yeah. And I think there's something really compelling also about the convenience and last touch format of beverages, you know, supplements, things like that. It's something people can take and add to whatever they're doing um, and not have to worry so much about preparation. So as always, the constellation of, of consumer motivations connect um, and have a lot of influence on one another. I want to quickly just call out um, the role that ritual plays in this. We're not going to talk about this a lot today. This could be a whole other webinar, but um, functional rituals, in addition to the actual functional benefits that are showing up, we're seeing that rise hand in hand. So the ritual would be the behavior around the consumption of the stuff, right? So we're seeing that, uh, this was a, a graph we had in our 2023 trend report, but, um, that was measured until September, 2022, but you can actually see that's grown an additional 7%. So 
in, in the year long period where this was reported, right, there was an 11% growth. And even since September, we've seen an additional 7%. So that's indication for everyone that this is actually growing faster, right? It's accelerating in growth. Um, and this is something to watch. Ritual is definitely here to play. Um, and it's going to be part of, of the uh, experiential claims of these functional health. And just to note, I, don't, I actually don't think we need to cover this right now, but energy drinks, right? Covering a lot more than just uh, energy. We're seeing things like brain function, um, you know, weight management, fitness, health, nostalgia, even, right? Everything to nutritional claims like calcium, nootropics. So there's a whole lot going on in the beverage category. And if anyone has any questions about this, we're happy to talk about it um, offline. Okay, we're nearing the end. Uh, so if you can stick around a few extra minutes, we'd love to have you. We have just a few more trends to cover. This one is actually my favorite of the trends that we have been watching for the last couple of months. This was something we covered in our 2023 trend report. And it is so exciting and gratifying to see this actually growing in the market as something that is is really emerging into the, the mainstream. So And an educational experience for me. Great which we love. We love to see it. Um, so menopause and other uh, formerly taboo experiences, and I put the LOL in uh, in brackets there just because, um, you know, women's health has always been, I think, at the bottom of the totem pole in a lot of ways. Um, and it's refreshing and, and great that it's coming more to the mainstream um, is now in the spotlight, right? So we're seeing a lot of packaging Callouts. I read something very depressing recently that um, women in menopause were were nobody's brand darlings, right? This was not a, and I think this is true for a lot of different industries. But um, you know, women ab above, let's say, fifty, have never been the target audience for for a lot of different industries. And refreshingly, and important in an important way, this is changing, right? So um, we're seeing a lot of catering towards this group. We're seeing a lot of um, you know science backed functional claims uh, coming in to support that time of life. Um, we're also seeing a lot of really cool ingredients showing up. So um, this practice of seed cycling, for example, which is using, you know, um, within women's health, the different kind of hormonal cycles um, and menstrual cycles using flax and pumpkin seeds to help regulate during that time. We're seeing CMOS for fertility support, kava, electrolytes. So there's so much going on here um, and a lot of really interesting uh, stuff is showing up. So we're seeing yeah. things from, you know, beverages to like RTD beverages to tea to supplements, you name it. I think this is something that, you know, as the stigma fades and, you know, yeah. people are, you know, more open to talking about this as they should, we're seeing brands step in and seeing that, that there is a spotlight on this and people do care about it, where before yeah. maybe it was uh, viewed as a taboo topic. It's not anymore, right? And that's a great thing so that, you know, now that there's more public awareness, there's, you know, things that, that people can now buy that, uh, you know, directly impact, you know, how they experience these different things. Exactly. And that's backed by um, something we saw in the data that 37% more women used food and beverage for health needs in 2022 than they did in 2021. That's a staggering number, right? Um, yeah, that's huge. That's not, uh, you know, the penetration of conversation, that's people, actual numbers of people. So that's a huge, huge difference. Um, and we're seeing things like, you know, menopause, 72% year-over-year year growth in conversations, fertility, 26%, um, miscarriage, 18%, sex drive and libido, 18%, women's health generally, 37%. We're also think, seeing things around um, menstrual cycles, endometriosis. So there's a, a real growth here. And I think this is an exciting um, moment to watch and something I feel passionate about personally. This is something that I saw in our data set and I was like, kind of furrowed my brow, like, is this, and then, you know, you go out to these conferences mm -hmm. and I, I was seeing booth after booth that all tackled this. So it's yeah. definitely something that um, it's nice to see it qualitatively and quantitatively. For sure. I think that's a really good point. All right. Um, and I think, oh, I think this is our, maybe our last one. I think we maybe have one more after this. So affordability, right? It's on everybody's mind. We know that inflation is here and uh, there's a lot of economic turmoil. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. This is something that you're thinking about. 
brands know that their consumers care about affordability. They're making decisions based on their wallet as they always have, but especially now in this sensitive time. Um, but they're really struggling to understand the hierarchy of what affects purchase decision when it comes to, uh, especially to inflation, but um, when it comes to these products. So for example, if we were to rank taste and we'll include texture in that health, affordability, and sustainability, those four, how would you rank those for your, for your consumers? We asked this at a lot of conferences and we saw that um, there was actually a surprising amount of variation between these, yeah. uh, but I think brands really need to figure out, you know, how do they rank for whom we do that at TasteWise. We help you figure that out. Um, Cause it's really important. What does it mean for innovation pipelines, right? Marketing campaigns. If you're putting through ideas now for 2025 release um, and we're really, no one can predict the economic future, right? How do you know what to prioritize? Um, should you bank on affordability and maybe less quality ingredients, or is that going to come back to bite you um, in about a year? So I think one of the ways to do this, and um, we actually have an affordability webinar, I think planned uh, for Q2. So keep an eye out for that. Um, there are some lessons you can learn from home cooking, right? Uh, how consumers are actually filling these gaps on their own. So for, I just pulled this one quickly from the platform, but for example, tuna cakes with jalapeno and cilantro specifically called out for their affordability of ingredients already over a hundred, almost a hundred thousand uh, engagements just on this one recipe, which fills a gap, right? Um, protein rich feels a little bit of lux, but it's still uh And I think this is something that you don't see uh, maybe in data uh, that's transactional data because yeah. right, people are leaving the store with tuna they're not eating it straight out of the can. In this case, this is something where it's crab cakes, which is usually a luxury, right? But it's tuna cakes, right? So people are subbing down. Uh, that's why I think this is such a great example with almost a million uh, favorites, right? Is that people are trading down because of maybe some of these economic circumstances, right? And um, yeah, I think it's a great example. Yeah, fantastic. Sorry, I misspoke before. A million, not 100,000, obviously. Um, yeah, so this is a, a huge engagement. And something just to point out here is that, you know, cheap fish, cheap meat cuts, legume-based alternatives are all uh, popular ways of, of slashing spending and home cooking, especially when it comes to savory dishes. Um, but what does this actually mean for alternatives, right? So when we're looking at things like, let's say, Beyond Meat, which is premised on plant-based alternatives to the, maybe the more expensive meat cuts, are consumers actually willing to pay a little bit of a premium for that? Like, what is the balance between consumer perception of these vegetarian ingredients or plant-based ingredients um, and, you know, spend and, and all of that? So the fascinating questions, um, something to think about for sure. Okay, I think actually think this might be the last one. The last, last. The last, last. And if not, the last, last, last. Um, so I love this one. Um, protein, you know, if anyone saw the movie recently, that this is a reference to protein everywhere all at once. Um, we're seeing that protein. Uh, protein has always been important to, to consumers, um, but even more so now. Uh, Ian, do you want to take the concept of hedging indulgence? Yeah, I think a lot of times you're like, oh, I shouldn't eat a donut. But what if it's packed with protein? Mm -hmm. Oh, I feel a little less guilty about that. Throw it in the cart, right? And I think we're seeing this creep in everywhere. We see protein in our database everywhere. I know we've got it circled in that orange um, box in the bottom left-hand yeah. corner, right? About kind of the, the place it's in the social conversation. It's growing really fast year over year with even a high um, you know, popularity in the share of conversation. And yeah. really we're seeing it kind of play out everywhere from pasta to, to water, to beverage, uh, to, excuse me, to cereal, donuts, yeah. you name it. Um, protein is popping up everywhere. And again, it's when people care about their health. And a lot of times, you know, pasta is a natural fit, especially things that have legumes, you know, or, or lend themselves to dairy products. There's definitely a fit there, but it's even kind of escaping that box. And it's, we're seeing it pop up really everywhere. Yeah. And for anybody who's interested in, in thinking about kid categories or parents, right, caregivers, um, this is a big one when people are considering cooking for families um, and they want to really stash that um, protein count 
in for their kids and for their families, um, doing that through perceived indulgent categories, let's say like pasta, right, um, is a sneaky way in, and we're seeing a lot of popularity with that. Okay, great. Ian, are there any conferences that you're looking forward to for the rest of the year? I think uh, the big one probably coming up that on everybody's is the the other NRA, the National Restaurant Association show, which takes place in May. I think that's kind of piggybacks on sweets and snacks, which I think are two big conferences that uh, outside of Expo West is probably the largest. It's going to be a ton of focus on tech stuff, innovation, um, and just there's always interesting things to me. A lot of global influence. Uh, you'll see there's usually a huge wing dedicated to the global um, brands and, and just interesting foods and flavors maybe that uh, we don't see every day. So for all those trend hunters, uh, it's a great place to go and spot things. Um, or you can just tune into our webinar afterward and uh, maybe save the, the travel. That's true. That's a good hack, huh? We should do this. <laughs> All right. So if anybody wants to join us um, on April 18th, um, join me and some other members of the TasteWise team. We're going to be going over uh, TasteWise's. We've been doing generative AI for a long time, but um, we're introducing conversational AI. If you are interested in learning how to produce trend reports in literally seconds, um, if you want a personal concierge trend assistant at your fingertips to help you figure out what your customers care about and the direction you should take your innovation, please join us. We would love to have you. Um, this is something that we are debuting um, over the last month and really want to make sure uh, that you all know about it because I really do think it's a game changer. Um, yeah. So feel free to check it out. It's super exciting. It is. Yeah. Any other updates we want to share, Ian, before we head out into the sunset? I don't know. Enjoy. If it's nice where you're at, get outside. Enjoy your day. And if it's not nice where you're at, <laughs> Stay inside. Have a good lunch. <laughs> yeah. I'm wishing everybody to those who observe a wonderful Ramadan, a wonderful Passover, a wonderful Easter. If you're not observing any of those things, have a wonderful rest of the week. Um, you know where to find us. If anyone has any questions, do let us know. Ah, sorry. Last thing I want to share. I just see a Q&A in the chat. Um, so if anyone wants to stick around and, and talk about this. So um, trends that someone wrote in that they're seeing. So adaptogens, we talked about that a little bit. Nootropics, that's part of that functional landscape for sure. Sustainability, regeneration. Um, fantastic. Okay. So thanks everybody for being with us and, um, really looking forward to seeing you all at our next one of these. We have these every week. So, uh, feel free to same registration link as before. Feel free to join us. Awesome. All right. Thanks everybody. Thanks, have a everybody. good one. Bye.